Alrighty guys, welcome back to Adventure Fit Radio. Today we have a great show for you. We have a show with Chris Voss. Uh, Chris is a former FBI hostage negotiator and has written a book to, uh, that brings all of his techniques over to the business world called uh, Never Split the Difference. This is actually an awesome, uh, an awesome interview, super interesting. First heard Chris on uh, Lewis Howe's podcast and uh, just thought he was just um, yeah, fascinating man, what he'd been through and, and uh, all the stories he had to tell. So we got him on and I think you guys are going to love it. Um, so this show is brought to you by Audible, guys. Head to www.audibletrial.com forward slash ADVF radio for your free 30-day subscription and one free audiobook. Uh, Audible is a superb service, guys. My favorite app pretty much on my phone, that and the podcast app. Uh, I use it all day, every day. So check that out. We're also brought to you by Quash Creative. Head to quashcreative.com and uh, mention radio Mention radio when you reach out to, uh, to the guys down there and you'll get a free SEO report or a report on the current um, branding of your, of your site. So head to Quash Creative. Also, guys, adventurefittravel.com. We've just released our second Iceland trip. The first one sold out in record time. Um, if you want to check out uh, New Zealand, we've just released our New Zealand trip, which is going to be epic. All trips are reduced 10% for Adventure Fit Radio listeners. You just have to put in the code word radio at checkout. Uh, that's pretty much it from me. Here's the show. Now, before we do this, let's go over the ground rules. Rule number one. No touching of the hair or face. And that's it. Yo. Discovery Roger, go for deploy. Where did we come from? Are we alone in the universe? What is the future of the human race? Come with me if you want to live. I did. Some kind never even considered for mass production. Too weird to live, too rare to die. Alrighty, guys, welcome back to Adventure Fit Radio. We are here with Chris Voss today. Chris is a former hostage negotiator uh, from New York City, and uh, Chris is going to talk to us about. A number of things, including um, how to negotiate your way through the business realm. Before we throw over to Chris, though, and welcome him officially, I'm going to start us off. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to start us off. I'm going to throw to Tommy, who's going to start us off with Tommy's tribute. All righty. Welcome aboard, Chris O. This song. Thank is, you. <laughs> this song is a little number I like to call Brother Chris. And it goes a little something like this. All right. I just had a whiff I want to know what it's like to save a life Cause that sort of pressure It's only for Chris Voss He's got a massive heart Welcome aboard, Chris. <laughs> I have to admit that I have never heard anything like that before. <laughs> I told you, mate. I told you that would yep. be the way. It's one of a kind. <laughs> one of a kind. Congratulations on your host, by the way, mate. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Cool. Chris, hey, um, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, my pleasure. It's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, yeah. Cool. So, Chris, why don't you just start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and your background and... Um, 
what brought you to writing your latest book and your basically your, your whole career in hostage negotiation? All right, uh, former FBI hostage negotiator. Uh, originally a small town Midwestern United States guy, blue collar background, ended up in New York City and then running an international kidnapping negotiation response for uh, the FBI, which mm-hmm. was not exactly what I expected growing up, running around as a little kid in small town Midwestern USA. But yeah, did that, uh, had a ball, had a great career, um, went some crazy places, did some crazy things. And then along the way, discovered that this stuff was pretty cool and uh, what worked on terrorists and sociopaths and psychopaths would work on, you know, salespeople, procurement people, CEOs, and mothers-in-law. <laughs> yeah, mothers-in-law, very good. <laughs> What'd you have to negotiate with your mother-in-law, mate? <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, the, the, I, lo- I had to call in a SWAT team on a mother. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to do the dishes. <laughs> um, so, Chris, how did it actually um, – what was the process from being a young kid to actually working a hostage negotiation system? How did that work for the FBI? How did the transition come about? Where did it – yeah, how did it actually happen? Mm. Well, you know, I didn't uh, – I think I first started becoming aware of the idea of how powerful soft power, so to speak, was when I was a police officer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my early days as a cop, I was like most young cops who ran around, th- put people in jail, threw handcuffs on people and, you know, told people what to do. And then uh, uh, I was with Kansas City, Missouri Police Department, and some of the detectives got rotated out of the te- detective bureau, and, and they were masters – at getting people to comply much more quickly with just the right words. And, th- and those guys blew me away. I mean, mm. I was really impressed with how quickly they solved problems and how quietly they did it. Yeah. And so then I became, I became an agent, and uh, I, was, I, was draw- I was also drawn to the agency investigators that got people to cooperate voluntarily. Like, I, I admired a guy who made a case – Uh, And people would say, like, I have no idea how he got those people to cooperate because he didn't have any, you know, he didn't have a hammer on. And so I was always really impressed with people that could just somehow, you know, they had some sort of crazy emotional intelligence where they could get people to comply and have be happy about it and and comply to stuff that really was against their interests. Mm. So, you know, I was at about the same time I was in I was on a SWAT team in the FBI and um. I had a recurring knee injury, and, and before I did totally totally destroyed my knee, I decided, you know, I can only get it put back together so many times. Let me try this hostage negotiation thing. It seems really interesting and intriguing to me. And plus, I didn't figure it was hard. You know, I figured, yeah, I talk to people all the time. I ought to be able to <laughs> talk to back. Yeah, why not? You know, I, I, I literally thought, you know, I could talk to terrorists. How hard could that be? Yeah, just tell a couple of gags. <laughs> Um, yeah, you know, tell a couple of jokes. How many terrorists does it take to screw in a light bulb? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so I would have loved that one. So, is there any? Um, so, have you studied psychology in any any way, shape, or form, or are you just a guy that loves having a having a chat and is quite, got a, got a good sense of persuasion? Well, no, you know, not psychology directly, but you know, we had to learn a lot about it indirectly. Like we we would we focus much more on. Because psychology, you start getting in depth with it, and they want they have different definitions, and nobody knows what those definitions mean. We can pretty much agree on what somebody's doing, and so if you focus on what people are doing, and then look at them as human beings, much more from a layman's perspective, then you then you get into how do you influence people, and how do you get them to you know happily agree to stuff that an hour early, earlier they were completely against. And and, yeah. and that's kind of fun. It's actually it's a lot of fun. Yeah, no, I think it would be great fun. I almost what? feel like a hypnotist like that. I'd be like, yeah. I can make anyone do whatever I want. Yeah. that's. You yeah. know, the crazy thing was um, when I was teaching hostage negotiation once and I was folk, there was a, hypno, a psychologist who was also a hypnotherapist in the audience. He came up to me afterwards and he said, you know, several things that you teach is, are exactly what we were taught Jeez. when we were taught it. What do you think it is? Uh, what do you think it is about your own character? What do you think it is about your own character, Chris, that makes you, you know, suited for the role? Because obviously, mm. there's probably a lot of people in the in the force, in the FBI, and doing what you do that were kind of earmarked as potential. But obviously, you 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 had a pretty successful career doing it. What do you think are the key character traits and you know personality traits in yourself 
that made you good at your job to, to deal with these kind of people? Well, all right. So, I, first of all, I'm open to learning. Um, and that sounds, sounds really obvious, but a lot of people aren't open to learning. Yep. I mean, because I'm, I'm relatively competitive, so I always want to find a better way. You know, I want to I want to outcompete you. I want to outsmart you. I, I want to figure it out before you do. You know, I want to I want to beat you. I always thought of myself as just like I'm like a B student. You know, uh, I'm just like an average guy. And so there's certain things where people are supposed to be smarter than me that I like outsmarting them. Mm. Like there's, there's nothing makes me happier than if I'm talking to a Ph.D. about psychology and they tell me something that I know is wrong and I will tell them in their language <laughs> why their thinking is off. <laughs> or like when I went through the FBI Academy, uh, the FBI hires a lot of attorneys. And so my overriding goal, and we have, we have legal exams, you know, there's, there's a whole block of instruction on, on, that's called legal in the Academy. And my goal, having not gone through law school, was if nothing else, I wanted to get higher scores on the legal exams than the attorneys. And which I did, cause, just because I wanted to beat them. I wanted to figure it out faster than they did. And I think and that has made this whole process just like fa- utterly fascinating for me and, and a lot of fun. Wow. Mm. That's interesting. So um, tell us about like uh, what was it like living in that world, in the hostage negotiation world, in the FBI? Was it like were you out every day or, or were there cases that you were working on every day communicating with um, with terrorists and with um, kidnappers and so forth or was it lots of regular FBI work with the odd occasional negotiation or, or like how long were you doing it and, and then what was it like day to day with all this kind of stuff? All right, yeah, well, when, when you start out as a hostage negotiator in most law enforcement agencies, you started out as an additional duty. So I had a day job, if you yes. will, where I was, uh, I was a terrorism investigator, which just actually fit right nicely into it because it helped me be a better interviewer. Um, you know, the hostage negotiation and an interview are just the same thing with different levels of intensity. So basically, we're hostage negotiators. <laughs> oh, look, I'm into that. Yeah. I, I take good, good communication skills. There you very, go. Very right? true. Very true. <laughs> and and so then um, then that slowly began to get it slowly began to take over my profession as I got into it and and I did a lot more self initiated things and then finally when I was in in the unit where it was a full time job and we did nothing else. Plus, we ran the program myself, and at the time there were ten of us in total that focused on different aspects of, of hot, the hostage negotiation program. You know, since we covered literally not just the United States, but uh, Americans anywhere in the world who got into trouble, then we were we were in it every day. Yeah. I mean, so we were working on something every day mm. somewhere, and and it was cool. I mean, it was like. If you're if you an emergency room doctor and you like being in the emergency room, then you're in the emergency room every day. You're into it. Yeah, that's right. Shit, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So I'm imagining that when you were um, going through all this kind of stuff, though, were you already a pretty seasoned police officer? Had you already gotten to the point where you could you could hold, you know, the you could leave work at work and you could obviously not bring it into your personal life? Because I imagine there would be like some very testing times and some very dark times. How did you? How did you? And even how do police in general deal with the stress of, uh, you know, the dark times and the and the, the horrible shit that you see in here and are working on? Yeah, um, yeah. You either deal with it in a really good way or in a bad way. It either eats you up or you thrive on it. Right. Um, and I've been reading a lot recently about the concept of flow. I mean, the mental state of flow. Yep. An interesting book that I'm reading now, The Rise of Superman. Mm-hmm. And which is really flow is just when you're in nearly flawless decision making where your mind is thinking at its maximum capacity, your, your fear is gone, but that doesn't mean your emotions are gone. Just because fear is gone doesn't mean emotions are gone. Mm-hmm. So you're in a good mental state. And so when, if you're into what you're doing, whatever it is, I mean, you get into a flow. It's not just X Games athletes that achieve flow. Mm-hmm. And when, when you're doing that then – your job doesn't eat you up. Now, it does eat up a lot of people in law enforcement because it's a harsh environment. Yep. Bad things happen to good people. Um, things go bad. Uh, and I get to the point where if, if I felt like I was engaged in a process 
that the best outcome possible is within reach. That doesn't always mean that the best outcome possible is a great outcome. It, it you know, it might not be good. Mm-hmm. Um, you you begin to accept that not everything is going to go right. The only thing you have to do is do the best you possibly can, and some of the rest of it's in the hands of the universe. Yeah, that doesn't completely detach you from when things go bad. But you know, you you got to be able to deal with it, or you find something else that you can. Mm, yeah. Deal with it. Yeah, I suppose it's all it's all part of the job. Is there any um do they ever teach any sort of um myself and Tommy both uh, meditate every day and we're right into mindfulness and um you know different techniques on keeping ourselves at the top of our game basically just all not level headed as not well. The, yeah, level headed, not that yeah. we we are actual hostage negotiators, but is there any um <laughs> Osama Dong Laden. <laughs> is there any um, is there any, um is there any mindfulness techniques that they teach in the police force, or uh, or is that all kind of left to everybody's own devices? Um, I, to my knowledge, they're not teaching it specifically per se. Now, I you know I think I think we're entering a new era in law enforcement worldwide where we're going to be more professional. And you know what I'm seeing consistently across the board, just like what you said, the vast majority of high performers meditate. Yeah, and I think people are picking up on that as this. You know, it's it's actually physically healthy for the brain, mm-hmm. and it yeah, there's so many things that are good about it. It's kind of insane. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, that's right. I think there's definitely a movement across all of society. You know, you hear of certain schools that have implemented meditation in in their you know in their lower classes, and then there's different workplaces that have forced meditation. I have a co-working space in South Melbourne at an office building that has a meditation class. Um, once a week so I, I totally agree I think it's a slow trickle effect um, probably Tim Ferriss I genuinely think Tim Ferriss has a lot to do with it with his, the rise of his podcast and yeah. he used to uh, and the fact that he asked the one question do you meditate to all the high all performers the time, yeah. and that 90% of them would say yes I think um, that's only one man but yeah I think it's a slow trickle effect so so what was it about for you then how were you able to keep so level headed in, in times of, of, of stress like that in your job um, Chris well, I, I, I started out, um, once I got into hostage negotiation itself, I mean, I, uh, I learned on a suicide hotline. Um, and the suicide hotline was a great uh, understanding of the process. And once I got good at the process, then I thought, okay, I, you know, I got the best process possible, then let the chips fall where they may. You, know? yes. you, you can only do the best you could possibly do. And I, and I became reliant before I got into actual hostage negotiation when I actually went through the training, I said to myself, you know, I've been doing this on a hotline for the last year and a half. I just didn't have a SWAT team outside. Mm. So, I, you know, I, I, I got comfortable with the process. I raised my skill level high enough within the process that I could just pick up the phone and, you know, stick to the game plan. And it's going to be as good as it possibly could be. So, so, you didn't feel, so you didn't feel like the stress of this could all be based on my next sentence? Because uh, I'm just trying to put myself in that situation. And obviously... I've got a very Hollywoodized sort of visualization of, of what it may be, like burning building, someone's, you know, got a gun to someone's <laughs> Denzel, head. Denzel Washington. Yeah, Denzel Washington. Out the front. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but um did you ever feel like that? Like if it if they said something you, you weren't prepared for, that if you said something wrong, it could could be the, the well, the, the death of, of, of someone, of a hostage. Well, and and that was a difference to our approach. Uh, first of all, when you when you when you get used to the good process, part of the process is you're not gonna be perfect. Mm. But your overall approach is going to give you a lot of latitude so that it's never it's never any one thing that makes things go bad. Yes. And then on, on top of that, the, the Bureau's negotiation approach or the FBI, very strong team game. Mm. Um, and we were we were different as a law enforcement agency at the time and across the world, depending upon how good they are, different law enforcement agencies either look at it as a one man show or really strong team game. So if you get a great team game and you rely on your team, yeah, then you are nearly unbeatable because mm. the other guys are going to pick up on stuff. Guys and gals will pick up on stuff that you won't. And like the great example is the first, the first and only bank robbery I uh, negotiated in with hostages. And bank robberies with hostages, even though they happen in movies all the time, are just exceptionally rare events. So I'm, I'm relying on a strong team game. And the two most critical moments that were the two biggest turning points 
in the, in my negotiation, both times somebody handed me a note because they I was talking, I didn't hear everything. One of the listeners heard a couple key things, wrote it down on a pad and handed it to me. And we moved ahead massively each time. And it was kind of funny because I gave the presentation about that bank robbery. I probably talked about it for five years <laughs> before the guy who handed me the note, he came, a very close friend of mine. And it was in all the years I've been talking about, it's the first time he'd sat through the presentation. And he, uh, he came up to me, his name is uh, Jamie Cedeno. And Jamie said, do you know who handed you those notes? And I go, no, you know, I just, I just know it wasn't my idea. Somebody <clears> handed me the notes. He said it was me. And I wanted to sit through the presentation first to see if you attributed it to somebody else or if you took credit before I told you it was me. <laughs> now that I see you're not credit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it was, you know, I believed in a team game. You yep. know, Absolutely. a strong team game. Uh, yeah. So with um with That's the negotiation negotiation that you do Chris do you actually have a, a baseline script that you follow for all these negotiations or is it like a sales script basically but obviously for obviously for negotiating so I can help you <laughs> do you have a, do you have a, do you have somewhat of a of a script or is it all kind of ad lib on the fly uh, obviously you would have done it numerous times but yeah is there a script that you follow well, there's as much of a script as there could be a game plan for any sporting event. Yeah. So you, you're gonna you're gonna come up with uh, some some things that you want to get done, and some ways that you hope will work. Yeah. But you have to get into the middle of the game and see how the other person's gonna react, and then you're gonna have to adapt in the moment. Yes. So gotcha. yeah, you know, you you just you get into it and you understand that. You know, it's a strategy has got to adapt depending upon it. You know, the live environment that you put it in the middle of. And I, I, all right, and I know, um, look, I've just got so many questions about this whole stuff. I know, yeah. I know that there's a million different scenarios and a million different people that are angry and got hostages for a million different reasons and whatever. But how does the actual technique that you use work? Like, for example, if someone's got hostages in a bank and they're saying, "I want X amount of money," typical typical Hollywood movie scene. You know, I, I want. I want $10 million and I want a chopper out of here. I want to go straight to the Maldives. 48 girls. Yeah, I want... Specifically I want, 48. <laughs> yeah. 49 is too excessive. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so, typical Hollywood movie scene. Like, what are you trying to do in the words that you're saying to this person, the, the conversation that you're having, what are you trying to do to sway the, 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 the favor to try and convince him otherwise, him or her otherwise? Okay, first of all, I'm going to know from what... from what they've done before I even talk to them, what they've done, what they've asked for, what they're really after. Mm -hmm. And so if a guy's trapped in a bank and he wants a helicopter to get out of there, I know this guy wants to live. Yes. That's a complete game changer because mm -hmm. now dying for him is a bad idea. Yes. Going to jail is a bad idea too, but dying is a worse idea. Um, and that is actually also giving me a glimpse of his plans for the future. I need to know what somebody sees in their, in their immediate future. Are they going? Are they going to a beach with forty-eight girls? <laughs> are, are they going to paradise with seventy-two virgins? Yes, yes. You know, all right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna be able to pick up on that really quickly. Then then I kind of know there's three really important buttons in their head that they're pushing on purpose or by accident, and then I can have access to if I listen for it. You know, there's going to be the stuff they like. There's going to be the stuff they hate. It sounds oversimplistic, but those are two really big buttons. Mm -hmm. The interesting thing about that is the stuff that they hate is nine times as important as the stuff that they like. Yes. Good Most job. of the time, we focus on the opposite. We want to go after what people like as opposed to diffusing what they hate. But mm -hmm. the real, you know, the, the cheaters, the hacks, you know, the shortcuts, that's who the stuff people hate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So those are, the, those are two big buttons. And, and then the big button inside that's is is I, for lack of a better term, an identity button, and you know what's and I I will use the term religion in a in a much larger sense, you know what do they believe in that's more important than their life? What's their religion? Now some people what they they their main religion might be themselves. Yeah. You know I worship me as long as I'm here on the planet. There are people that are like that. We call them sociopaths. <laughs> mm -hmm. Sociopaths basically don't want to die. That's a really good thing. That's one more thing this guy doesn't want to die. And actually, interestingly enough, a sociopath may be more willing to go to jail 
than other types of people because what sociopaths want is to manipulate people and as long as they got people around they don't care where it is yeah so you know what's their religion what do they believe in more than anything else you know somebody's got something they're willing to they're willing to die for they're willing to die to achieve yeah. now, if i know what their religion is and i begin to speak to them and resonate with them on on that level all right so maybe you want to die you just don't have to die today or maybe if what you want to get by dying can be gotten another way where nobody has to die. Yeah. But I need to know where those buttons are, and then I need to just start, start to talk about them and, so I can dial into them. All righty, guys. Just a quick break in, in, uh, proceedings, in proceedings to talk about our sponsors. So um, Audible, guys. So we are brought to you by Audible today. Audible is basically an audiobook app, an audiobook warehouse where you can find most decent books will be on Audible. Even some of the, uh, some of the shittier ones will be on there. And what you'll do, guys, is you'll sign up to Audible. You can get a free trial through us, 30 days, and, a, and one free book. With your monthly subscription, though, going on forwards from that, you'll get one book a month, and you can listen to, uh, listen to a book while you're driving your car, walking your dog, uh, cleaning the house. You can be getting information in. If you're not somebody that likes to sit down and read, you can still be learning, taking on awesome information without having to um, have a book in your hands. So... It's an awesome service. Head to www.audibletrial.com forward slash advfradio and uh, get your free month and free audiobook. We are also brought to you by Quash Creative, guys. So if you know the jingle to this podcast, our intro song, which I absolutely love, um, that was done by our friend Sean Marsh at Quash Creative. So if you need anything, uh, anything creative done for your company, guys, Marsh is the man, whether it's website, whether it's graphic design, whether it's... Uh, audio files he can do it all so uh, if you want to go check out his stuff I highly recommend it head to quashcreative.com and uh, if you reach out and mention Adventure Radio then you can get a free SEO report or a report on the existing branding of your of your branding your brand so um, that's it from us we're going to get back into the show here it is so what I find most fascinating is that it's like it's like a really good example of asymmetric information. It's like I, yes. every, everybody knows that like when when you when you call them up, you know like they know exactly what you're trying to do. So you're already at a um, you're already on the back foot there. You know they know that when you're calling them up, you're just the negotiator trying to negotiate them out of what they're doing. So they're going to try to they're almost going to be like preparing themselves for all your little tricks. Is that something right. you take into account before or how you how you word certain certain things you say? Um, we get into the emotional intelligence level so quickly and so fast that no matter how they're prepped, they're not going to be prepped for us. Mm. You know, they're, they're prepped for logic. They're prepped for arguments. They're hoping for an argument. Yeah. You know, they're not expecting me to catch them off guard in an adversarial Negotiation, no matter what the adversarial negotiation is, whether it's with a terrorist or whether it's over your used car. The other side expects you to be combative, and the last thing they expect is for you to be respectful and appreciative. Yes. You know, so how do I catch this guy off guard? So it's a, you know, it's hit, hit them where they're not prepared. Come yeah. in and flank them emotionally. Mm -hmm. The last thing they're expecting is respect and appreciation and understanding. Yeah, empathy. And that, you know, and every human being has a much deeper need to be understood. Yes. And so I can get into that. I mean, I'm, I've got them where they're off guard. I'm, I, Sun Tzu's advice hit them whether or not I'm coming in where they're not prepared. Yeah. Shit, it's mm. fascinating. That's, it? all, that's awesome. So uh, I, I have, a, I have one, one question that I've always wanted to ask, <laughs> uh, Chris, to a, to, a, to a real life hostage negotiator. Now, just going back again to, to the movie scene where we've all seen. We've all seen probably three or four famous, you know, hostage negotiation movies, and everyone always asks for a plane. They always ask for a plane. They want to get out of there. And I'm always thinking, what the fuck are you going to do with a plane? Yeah, I know. Like, like, once we know you go, where you're going, they know mate. where you're going to go. It's <laughs> yeah. so retarded. Yeah, as soon I as totally you land, agree. you cooked, you yeah. cooked, my friend. You're fucked. So, yeah. does, do, do people actually, do people they actually ever ask for. <laughs> I had a people, if, if people do want to, if people do want to. Um, want to live if they're not suicidal, for for example. So you know, if it's a good case scenario. So all right, we know these guys want to live. How do you keep them thinking that they're actually going to get out of this without 
when they clearly jail. Not. Yeah, is there is there any time that, that, that people actually genuinely think, give me a car or give me a plane, I'm getting out of here, and don't follow me, don't ask where I'm going, uh, that's all I want. Like, when is, does that actually, are people that silly in these kind of high tense emotional scenarios? Well, we're, we're going to wear them down where they're just looking for a way out. Yeah. And we're, you know, we're gonna, and we're gonna, we're gonna remain as collaborative as possible. Like, you know, if they ask for a plane, the answer is gonna be, you know, it's really gonna be hard. Uh, <laughs> we'll see what we can do. Probably can't get your plane, mate. <laughs> yeah. do, do you want a bike? Or? Yeah, but I mean, but even then, even then, you, you know, you're telling them. See, the, the biggest thing is they also expect to be conned. You know, they don't yeah, expect. Yeah. They don't expect credibility from the other side. Yeah, for sure. So. Uh, it's another thing that we're, as a hostage negotiator, we're going to catch them off guard. And I and I and I am a firm believer this in business negotiation too. I think lying is a bad idea in any and all communications. Yeah. Whether it's you know I don't care what it is. I, I don't care if you're negotiating over a car, you're negotiating over a suit, you're negotiating over hostages. Lying is a bad idea. The other side's going to find out, and there's a pretty good chance they're a better liar than you are anyway. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, but the other side, in a, in a hostage negotiation, they're not going to expect me to say, they're going to say, all right, we'll work on it, or I'll, I'll look into it, or, you know, give me more time. I'm going to say, look, I don't, I don't think we're going to be able to make that happen. I'll ask, but that's going to be a tough one. Mm-hmm. Right off the bat, I've taken a step to their, I, I got, I've increased my credibility. I haven't refused. Yep. You know, but I've set some expectations. Yep. And so, yeah, they're going to ask for something, and, and if they ask for a plane, I'm going to say it sounds like you really want to get out of this. Mm, yeah, and that's going to pivot into a whole other level of a conversation, anyway. So, um, how much of the conversation is about making sure that the balls in the FBI's and your court and 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 not in theirs? Power-wise, or is the is the idea to actually make them feel like they are in control? They do have the power, but somehow behind the scenes, they they don't like how. I'll assume with the latter, surely. How, how do you how do you try and structure it with who has the power in the conversation in their mind? Who's wearing the pants? Yeah, yeah. This this is this is great. Uh, the secret to gaining the upper hand in a negotiation is giving the other side the illusion of control. Yes. So. I love control-oriented negotiators because I'm going to say, okay, you're in, you're in charge. And then they relax and they'll do almost anything you want as long as they feel like they're in control. Mm. And, yeah. you know, one, one of my favorite examples of this, when, when I started going overseas on a regular basis working in international kidnappings, the way the U.S. government is set up, the FBI is in charge of the negotiation strategy, but the State Department is in charge of the operation. Right. Now – as a general rule, the FBI is not domestically. They're in charge. We're in charge of everything we touch inside the United States. So we're not used to not being in charge. And we got a real bad reputation for that, which, of course, the State Department knows. And they're dying to prove to us that we're not in charge. That's their first and number one objective. And I can remember the first few times of being an embassy overseas, I'd say, this is the negotiation strategy. This is what we're going to do. I'm in charge of negotiation. And the state guys would say, we're in charge. And until you recognize that, nothing's going to get done. Mm-hmm. And then we'd be at a stalemate. As soon as I switch from, you're in charge, this is what we're going to do, they'd be like, okay, you said we were in charge. We'll be happy to do it now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny, isn't it? That's insane. That's classic. So um, we want to we want to get on to the application to this all this stuff in um, business, Chris. But I do want to ask um, another thing just – as I say, I'm I'm always just thinking of the bank rob the bank mm. you know robbery scene. But mm. so forgive me if I'm being. Do you want very, to know how I got these guards? Yeah, forgive me if I'm being very narrow minded. But so, how does the conversation differ, and what are you putting into practice or putting into place on the ground outside the bank, whatever, with your team? If it's very clear and very obvious that this guy's after the sixty nine virgins, you know how do you <laughs> how do you change yeah. your tact if you know this guy doesn't. Doesn't care if shit. he dies, yeah, yeah, or wants, or to, die. wants, to, die, wants yeah. to die. Yeah. Well, you know, if he if he wants to die, I'm I'm going to show a, tr- a, a genuine understanding of that because it's going to catch him off guard and he's going to keep talking. Mm-hmm. And I'm then I'm gonna I'm gonna flesh out. I'm gonna need to get in his mind, you know, in the in the in the theater of the absurd that's playing out in this guy's mind. 
you know, what's this going to get him? And is this the right thing to do right now? Now, if it's going to get, if he thinks it's going to get him what he wants, and it's, and this guy thinks it's the right thing to do right now, you know, then then my job is to buy enough time until we can put him in a sniper's crosshairs. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and and so my my first job is to figure out what's going on, and then if I have any points of influence. Mm-hmm. And then if I got points of influence, then I'm going to hit them, and we're going to see where that takes us. But we're going to keep very close track of, you know, my Israeli uh, hostage negotiation colleagues had a great phrase. They called it a killing journey. I got to figure out where the guy is on his killing journey. And if he's at his destination, if he's at his final destination, we have a problem. There's a pretty good chance if he's talking to me at all that he's not yet at the final destination. Mm-hmm. Now can I derail this before we get there? And I'm going to try and derail it. All right. That's so interesting. And, and do you find it's, um, find it's difficult talking to people that want to die on a religious basis compared to want to die because they've just had a really bad day and they don't give a fuck about the world anymore? Like, is it, is it uh, when we're talking with, when we're talking with, ISIS, basically. Like, is there any? Is there? Have you ever had any 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 um, any experience with with that, or is that kind of getting too too vague? But like, how does it differ when it's a religious based ideology? Well, no, these guys, you know, and and I, I don't mean this to be a bad pun, but these guys are dying to tell me about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and and like, so the the best thing to say to if if we had a, if we had an ISIS guy barricaded. I would say what you're doing is a great thing. Really? And they, and they would react exactly how you just did. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. You got me, man. You what? Yeah. Uh, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not exactly what I was. No, but you, you would, they, they would react like, holy cow, what's this guy going to say next? Which means they're completely dialed into what I the very next thing I have to say. Now I got them listening to, more intently than they ever expected to be listening. Hmm. Well, yeah, I like, yeah, it's interesting. So, how, well, how would you go on from that then? What do you mean by this is a great thing? Like, I know what you obviously what the end goal is, but I don't know what that means. Well, then, then I would say, it seems like this is something you've been thinking about for a long time, mm. and that would get them started. Oh yeah, and they would, and they because now I'm not arguing with them. They're doing they're, to, they're doing something that to them is is grand and great, and if they didn't want to express it in some way, they'd have gone and committed suicide someplace in an abandoned field where nobody was. Mm, mm. But they actually orchestrated this huge audience for them, so they you know they're screaming for attention, and as human beings, you know they're going to want to get their story out, and if they and as human beings everybody's happy to talk as soon as we don't think we're going to get faced with an argument. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very true. Um, and so just quickly, the, the last thing on that, um, Chris, is like obviously when you're talking to these people, um, we're on we're on the page of terrorists at the moment. There's going to be a, a language barrier. I just feel like so much of what you do, or um, tell me if I'm wrong, but um, so much of what you do is, is in the way you say it and, and how you phrase the, the sentences and all that sort of stuff. Does some of that get um, misconstrued or gets lost in the, in the translation barrier? Well, um, not that much uh, because, first of all, we're, we're approaching them on a human nature level. We know everybody's got a certain amount of wiring just because we're human beings. It doesn't matter your ethnicity or your gender. Yeah. There's components in your brain that are exactly the same for everybody. Everybody's got an amygdala. You know, everybody talks about the amygdala hijack or the, the caveman part of the brain. Yeah. Everybody's got, everybody's got it. So, I, you know, and, I, and they all react the same way. They all have the same three buttons I was telling you about before. And the negative button is nine times as important as a positive button. Yeah. So um, then with that being said, I mean, one of the reasons why there was a, a book written a number of years ago called The Psychology of Myth uh, by a guy named Joseph Campbell, and it talked about, you know, the hero's journey in nearly every religion and every culture is pretty much exactly the same. So there's some underlying themes in whatever culture we're in that are exactly the same no matter what language we put them in. Now, they might have different adverbs and they might have different adjectives and they might have different phrases, 
you know, there's some, some little tweaks here and there just in the wording, but the ideas are exactly the same. And as soon as I focus in on the, those ideas, then we can make some mistakes in words. We'll get, we'll get the, we'll get the points across because we all share some basic, the hero's journey is the same in, in every culture. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. So, um, Chris, we're gonna um, we're gonna get throw to six from six in a, in a second, but before we do, we just want to touch on quickly, like so. So your latest book talks about apl- uh, applying this kind of rhetoric and your negotiation skills to business. Now, let's let's delve into that quickly. So, so how how much can what you do as a hostage negotiator transfer straight over into the business world, negotiating big big deals for for companies, selling? Selling small items, you know, to a to a general public member. Like, how does it how does it transfer over? You know, if, if all you got to do is read our Amazon reviews and see, like, everybody in every way, shape, or form just killing it mm-hmm. with this emotional intelligence approach to negotiation. Mm-hmm. I got okay. I got an email from a, a saleswoman the other day. Said she hit one hundred and thirty nine percent of her goal. By right. shifting over uh, to this emotional intelligence approach, so you know it, it really and and pretty much using the same the same ideas because they have such this universal application to the situation because we're dealing with human beings. Yeah, you know one of my favorite ways to say no is when you very gently and politely say to someone, "How am I supposed to do that?" Mm-hmm. And you say it just like that. Mm-hmm. So I got I got a. I got a businessman in Los Angeles who told me a couple months ago he's got a landscaping contractor. He thought his price was high. Instead of saying the price is too high, he says, how am I supposed to do that? Mm-hmm. And the contractor cut the price by 50%. <laughs> Classic. I got a mother. A mom sends me an email. Her 13-year-old son wants her to buy a video game, full price, pay off for all of it. She looks at her son and she says, how am I supposed to do that? <laughs> <laughs> Has a smooth, smooth he immediately says, voice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he immediately says, all right, mom, I'll pay for half. <laughs> exact same exact same response as a landscaper with a contractor. So yeah. it's just a matter of, you know, doing this, having some fun with it. Yeah, you know, definitely. Apply, applying it and and, see, and, and making it work because it does work. It, it works. It's insane how effective this is. Is a lot of this stuff based on, um, without taking anything away from, from, from your experience, but is, uh, is a lot of this sort of stuff based on the ideas of Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and, and Influence People? Have you read that book, Chris? I have. Yeah. There, you know, there's, there's some common ideas. There's some common underlying themes. Um, there's, a, there's some different applications. Yeah, of course. Of like, course. you know, D- Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends, Influence People, they say, you know, find the other person, they love the sound of their name. It's the sweetest sound in the word. Find the other person's name and use it. Yeah. Well, the, pro- the problem with that is... Well, you're getting them to know them. They don't get to know you. Yeah, of course. So we put a lot more emphasis on how to get them to know you. Mm. And then they're much more comfortable letting you get to know them. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Because, I, I mean, that, that book was very much about asking questions and, like you said, getting to know that person. And people always want to talk about themselves and all this sort of stuff. But um, I felt like... Whilst I mean, obviously, I love that book. It's a fantastic book, and I try to read it once a year. But um, I feel like at the same time, it's almost like just trying to get a win over them, as opposed to reaching a, a common point of understanding. And uh, it always felt like when I, you know, because some of those um, things in the book are fantastic, and I tr- try to use those things because it just it's just better. I think we should all take a leaf out of um, Dale Carnegie. But like, it's still, I still don't feel that like I still feel like they're more like techniques and little things you can do as opposed to like uh, just uh, genuine, genuine human interaction, you know? Right. Yeah, I, I agree completely. And one of the problems with getting a win over someone is they feel like they lost. Well, absolutely, yeah. There's no win-win, yeah. Mm. Yeah, and that's, and that's bad long-term. They, nobody wants to be around you if every time they're around you, they lose. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I feel great though, mate. <laughs> <laughs> How am I supposed to do that, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> Very good. <laughs> hey, uh, Chris, we uh, we might throw to six from six, mate. We'll um, we'll get you out of here, but not before three questions from me, three questions from Tommy. Is that okay? Yeah, let's go for it. Cool. All right. So mine are travel related to start off the first couple. So, um, what is your favorite uh, travel destination on the planet? Somewhere you've been that you just love to recommend to people? 
can be anyway. Well, you know, a little bit depends upon what you're after. I mean, I love being in Paris. Mm-hmm. How can you go wrong being in Paris? It's, you know, it's a, any city that's uh, has, has has is beautiful, has a phenomenal culture, and has really been a crossroads of what's been happening on the planet for hundreds and hundreds of years, which means it's got fascinating history. I mean, I love Paris. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a tiny little town in Wales that I think is really cool. And the uh, Lanchwood Major, okay. for, for my American butchering of how they would say it locally. Yep. They got a church there that's been there for 1,500 years. Crazy. And there's just like, when, the few times that I've been there, there's just like this tremendous calm. It's this tremendously calm place to me. You know, mm-hmm. like if I, if I needed to go hide out and be left alone and be surrounded just by simple, easygoing people. And I don't mean simple-minded, but on, you know, people that aren't after co- complicated activities. You just want to exist and, and, and be, you know, that, that's a, that's a, that's a great place. That's a great place for that. Mm. Yeah. Awesome. And, and uh, then, you know, I love New York city too. Beautiful. All right. So uh, my next question is your dream travel destination. Some of you haven't been top of the bucket list. Everest. Oh, oh yeah, good one. Been top, there you, twenty-four you, times. You want to you want to go to the top, or you just want to go to the, the the base camp there, Chris? You know, either one would be cool, but I would I would I definitely been thinking hard about how I can set aside enough time to get to the top of that. Wow. Of something. Amazing. We actually uh, I actually own a travel company. The parent company of this um, this podcast is an is a travel company, Adventure Fit Travel, and we uh, we often run Everest Base Camp, mate. So if you want to uh, get on a sales call and and negotiate me into, into, pay, into paying for you to come. Yeah, then, uh, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Always, always open to it. <laughs> um, all, that. all right, man, I'll give you 100 bucks. <laughs> in all seriousness, though, it's an amazing part of the world. You'd absolutely love it. Um, my last question for you, Chris, is any books that you like to recommend to people? Can be any, t- any sort of book. Yeah, I'm, I'm really, I'm really enjoying the rise of Superman right now, which is you know about this whole concept of flow and and how fascinating it is and how people do it and where it came from. You know, I think that's a great book, and it's mm-hmm. about performance and having a better life anyway in a fun way. Mm. So I really enjoy that. I'm enjoying that book right now. Awesome, Tommy. You're, hey, you uh, Chris, what do you like to do when you have some downtime or some free time? You know, anything that has almost uh, complete spontaneity to it with very little planning. I like it. Um, and there can be a lot of different things. But my, you know, I haven't been on my bike for a while because I left my motorcycle because I left it in, in D.C. when I moved out here two years ago. <laughs> like a perfect afternoon is if I get on my motorcycle, and I got no idea where the bike's going. I just get on it and find out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beautiful, mate. Uh, next question. What? Uh, who was someone you looked up to as a kid or maybe a current uh, role model or someone of that nature? You know, a, a guy that I'm really fascinated with these days, um, and I didn't have the opportunity to be fascinated with him as a kid, though, is, is Bono, the, uh, the lead singer from U2. Yes. You know, everything that he's into and – how he's consistently having a positive influence all around the globe. But the, the, I think the, the big, his biggest victory is keeping you two together for as long as they've been together yeah. and they're still a global force. Absolutely. How many, and how, and uh, the only people that approach him in any sort of longevity are the, are the Rolling Stones, but the Rolling Stones are famous for not getting along. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm impressed with his ability, you know, as, uh, as, as a... Force for good, for lack of a better term. Mm, good stuff, mate. And uh, finally, my friend. Now this is a tough one, but I'll uh, I'll give it to you, and you can probably negotiate me out of not saying it. <laughs> but uh, if you could invite three people, dead or alive, to dinner, uh, who would they be, and why? All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you three categories. All right. All right. So Shit. dead. <laughs> uh, dead would be Jesus, the Prophet Muhammad. Uh, may may Allah's uh, peace be upon him and I'm not a Muslim but I just res- I respect the Muslim religion sure. and Einstein Ooh. and I would want to I would sit with those guys and I'd be like alright so what were you thinking really yeah <laughs> yeah of course <laughs> give me some insight tell me something you haven't told anybody else yeah and so my live version would be Tony Robbins Oprah and Bono ooh that's a nice one I like that it's good 
And uh, what would you ask? Uh, what would you ask Oprah, mate? <laughs> I'm sorry. What would I ask who? What would you ask Oprah? Um, like, all right, again, yeah. Te- you know, tell me what you really think. Mm. I mean, I know you're you're uh, relentlessly positive. Um, you know, you're incredibly generous. Mm. You know, how, how did how did you how did you overcome your fears? I mean, everybody says, yeah, it's easy to be generous. She's a billionaire, but she's obviously always been that way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, otherwise she wouldn't be a billionaire. Yeah, you know. Yeah, exactly. So mm. your core principles. You know, at what point in time did you just have faith in those principles? And be willing to let the chips fall where they may, and mm. and everybody hits an iceberg. You know, everybody everybody, everybody gets sunk bad someplace. Mm. So and so, how, you know, how did how did you how, how did you cope with it? What did you tell yourself? How did you get yourself through? Mm. I like it, mate. Hey, uh, Chris, loved it, mate. Uh, finally, where can people find you? Um, and this is the time you can plug anything you like. Your social media, your your books, all that sort of stuff. All right, the, the website is blackswanltd.com. And the best way to connect with us and, and learn about everything that we do, you know, find out the best place to buy the book, never split the difference. But if anybody who subscribes to our, our weekly negotiation newsletter, The Edge, it comes out. It's a short article, uh, 500 words or so. You can read it in three minutes once a week. It also tells you about free products that we have. It tells you about any and every different kind of way that we can help you get better at negotiation understanding that we don't see negotiation as this win-lose, beat-the-other-guy side uh, approach. It's about actually making it an enjoyable process and having a better life. Mm. And so you subscribe to The Edge. You go to the website, blackswanltd.com, B-L-A-C-K-S-W-A-N-L-T-D. And you can find find uh, the tab for The Edge. Sign up for that. And then look, look over the website. See if there's any stuff out there else that we've got that we can give you for free to help you start getting better right away and not have it cost you anything. And then, then when it works for you, then, then you know, hire us to train you or buy a, buy a negotiation training program or get better and get more. Cool. Sounds great. Chris, thanks so much for coming on the show, my friend. That was a fascinating chat. Loved it. Guys, it was a lot of fun to talk <laughs> with you today. Have a good one. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Chris. See you, see you next time. All right. Bye-bye. All right, guys, if you enjoyed that episode, please leave us a rating and review. Um, also, um, subscribe. They're the two things that keep us going up the ratings and uh, the, the, the rankings, and we'll uh, keep this podcast uh, viable into the future, so help us out there. Also, the show notes can be found at www.adventuretravel.com forward slash radio, and make sure you check out Quash Creative www.quashcreative.com, audible, audibletrial.com forward slash ADVF radio and Adventure Fit Travel. Use the code word radio for 10% off. That's, uh, that's it from me. See you next week.